you've come on a great week, and um, I know I'm glad to be here to be able to present this to you. Um, last week, we started this new series called Deep Trouble. That was a phrase that I heard a lot growing up. Uh, you're in deep trouble. Wait till your dad gets home. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, but that was just something that happened in our house. This is a deep trouble that not only are we in deep trouble as people, but we're also trying to trouble the deepness of others. We're trying to push them to something deeper and greater. And so we're looking at this small section in, um, in Acts, just these nine verses in Acts, where we can look through the lens of the vision of Hyphen. We are a baby church. We're an infant still. And we are just learning to crawl. We're just learning to get out there on our own and explore and experiment and see what kind of church we're going to grow up to be. And so we're not there yet. And so a lot of the questions that we're asking, a lot of the things that we're pushing toward, the answers are going to be no. We're not there yet. We're not doing the things that we're called to do. But because this is vision, we look to the future. We look to what's coming down the road. We look to what's next. When we all go on this journey together, when we all have been called here, we meet in this one spot and we're on this road and this crazy guide comes out of the woods and he says, hey, I'm glad you're all here. What we want to do is we're going to walk on this path and we're going to climb those mountains over there. That's vision. Because we see the mountain, we see the obstacle, we see what we want to do, and we're always traveling toward that. We're never quite arriving. And sometimes on the path we're going to be slow, and sometimes on the path we're going to be small, and sometimes on the path we're going to get lost, and it's going to get dark, and it's going to feel like we're getting angry or frustrated with how slow or how fast things are going. But we're always keeping our eye on what we are targeting. We're always keeping our eye on those distant mountains to say that's our goal. That's where we want to go. And so this is what a vision series reveals. It reveals where we want to go. It reveals what we want to do. Now, last week we talked about the shakeup Paul and Silas brought to Thessaloniki. Paul and Silas had been all across the parts of Turkey and Greece, and they were making their way through all of those regions. And everywhere they went, they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what we sort of based our series on, is that through that region, by the time they got to Thessalonica, they had earned this reputation. They had earned this reputation as being people that turned the world upside down, that they were instigators, that they were disturbers, that they were agitators, that they were people that we didn't want in our city, doing the things that we had heard that they were doing in all the other cities. And so the folks in Thessaloniki knew what Paul and Silas's presence meant. And this is what those people said about Paul and Silas. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They were trying to get Paul and Silas in trouble because they had come and had this reputation as being people that were going to shake things up, that were going to change the way that they lived. But in doing so, they were paying them a huge compliment. This is what the church wants to be known as. 
as troublemakers, as world changers, as turning the world upside down, as agitators, as disturbers. And somewhere along the line, we have lost our reputation as people who do that. Our presence in our communities doesn't upset anyone anymore. It doesn't agitate. It doesn't turn things around. Paul and Silas were turning the world upside down because everywhere they went, they carried the message of Jesus Christ. And this message was messing people up. It was messing with their minds. It was screwing up the way they wanted to live. It was draining them of their power. They held on to this religious power. And Jesus was saying, let it go. You don't need that. They were finding out that there was a God who loved them. They were finding out that there was a God who knew their name. He was a God who was unlike their gods that they were worshiping in their Greek temples and in their homes. He was a God of grace and mercy, a God of self-sacrifice, of joy, of love. Their radical message and their radical savior was a game changer. It was what was turning the world upside down. It wasn't Paul and Silas. It was the message of Jesus. It's a message that we told, we told you last week that we strive to keep simple. When we serve you a meal, when we serve you the food that you come hungry looking for, I'm not going to give of myself. I'm not going to make this the message about me. This is not my testimony up here. This is the things that Jesus has done. That's what keeps us full and hungry for more. But because of this radical message, people were no longer the same. Paul and Silas came into town and people changed their lives because of this. The world was divided into two sides. Those who believed and those who didn't. Those who were on the outside looking in. It says right in the text, some believed and some didn't. I mean, Paul and Silas were game changers. Paul had an actual interaction with the risen Lord, and he still couldn't convince people that Jesus was who they needed. Paul couldn't grow the church like we think he could have grown the church. He didn't get mega in any sort of way that we would define a mega church today. People heard the message and they walked away. They said, I don't need that. And so in last week's message, we talked about how we could turn our world upside down. And we even shortened it. We said, let's not even think about being world changers right now. Because in our mission statement, we're not talking about changing the world. We're talking about changing our neighborhood. We're talking about changing our neighbors. We're talking about changing the people in our family. We all know someone in our family who hasn't been affected by the life of Christ. And until all of our families are transformed, we still have a reason to exist. What if people thought that about us? What if people thought that we were changing the world, that we were changing communities, that we were changing the community for the better? What if we had that reputation? Those are the mountains we see, that we want to become a church known 
for turning the community upside down? What if we were so effective living for Jesus, we really made a difference? Think about that. Effectively living for Jesus, that we made change and we made a difference. What if we were so thoroughly personifying the gospel that our entire community was shaken? What if the gospel became personified? What if it was lived out in a manifest way in our lives, a physical way, so much so so that our communities and our families, our neighborhoods, our work, our school, everything was shaken just by our reputation. And that's what we started talking about last week. But honestly, we didn't cover it all that well. We didn't go deep enough. So we're going to take a deeper look at one of these questions that I asked last week. We asked last question, four questions last week. And so these questions are going to be the focus of the next few weeks. Let me go through those questions again. The first question was, are we a threat to turn our world upside down? Do we have what it takes to make a difference in our world? And insert world community, job, school, our sphere of influence, wherever we're going. Is Jesus important enough to us that we will stop at nothing to see that he is lifted up? Question two is, are the people of our community talking about our impact? The answer is no. We know that they're not. But that's the vision. That's the mountain we seek to walk to. Does our community see that we're bringing change? Is our community different because we exist? Question three is, are we doing anything that will disturb our community? Are we shaking up those who have no use for Jesus? Are we doing anything that causes people to be disturbed by our presence? And question four is, our presence leading people to make eternal decisions? Are we leading people to make Jesus their king? And we're going to take those questions one at a time, one week at a time, starting with this first one. Are we a threat to turn the world upside down? So let's actually break that down a little bit. What does it mean to be a threat to turn the world upside down or our community or our job or our school or our family? A threat is someone who is considered dangerous. And by turning the world upside down, it means to flip everything over. Everything that used to be is no longer the same. It means causing things to be totally different from what it was before. And so when we see something as a threat, we see it as something that is different and dangerous. There's a chance that things might be different now that that person or thing is in the area. So what would it look like if we were a threat? What would it look like, not even just specifically hyphen church, but what would it look like if the churches of our community were a threat? We'd be considered a dangerous threat to bring radical change to a community in need of it. We'd be people who flipped what people thought about church upside down. We'd be a church who people either loved or hated. There would be no in-between. We don't want people to feel meh about us. 
We don't want people to look at our church and feel indifferent about us. I feel nothing when I look at Hyphen Church. I want people to be passionate about it. I want people to be in love with it, or I want them to curse us because of what we've done to the community. I want them to feel strongly one way or another. Because look at what happened to Paul and Silas. There were no in-betweens with Paul and Silas. There were no in-betweens with Jesus. There were no people that looked at Jesus and said, oh, I'm meh. That miracle was so-so. Three out of five stars, maybe. We want, would recommend, five out of five. Or zero out of five. We want people to burn with passion. We want them to feel something about church and about Jesus and about the spirit and about the community. We want them to be moved by that. Every time one of us showed up somewhere, there was a threat of life change. Can you imagine that? That hyphen church shirts are going to the community or bumper stickers or coffee mugs or pens. We have lots, take them on your way out. Just remember that when hyphen church goes out there, someone sees that and they're like, oh wow, the community's going to change. Our lives are going to change. Something is going to happen here. There's a threat. Every place we stepped foot had the potential to go into a Jesus upheaval. The presence of God, the presence of Christ moves with us. And we are the personification of that gospel. And then we'd be just like our Savior because Jesus was a dangerous threat everywhere he went. He went into Samaritan territory. He threatened their way of worship in John 4. He was considered dangerous by the Pharisees. All the religious leaders of the day hated him and looked for ways to throw stones at him. He was brought before the Romans for insurrection and terrorism charges, for calling himself a king. You don't do that in the Roman Empire. You get killed for doing that. The apostles were a threat. After Pentecost and the filling of the Holy Spirit, they were dangerous. Thousands of people's lives were changed forever by their message and Savior. The Jewish leaders warned them to quit. The apostles threatened the stability of Jewish leaders had with the Roman leaders. They shook Jerusalem to its foundation. And Paul was a threat. He ran into Jesus and became a dangerous man. The Jewish leaders tried to kill Paul because of what he was saying and doing. And as he went through the various cities of Asia Minor, the city's leaders ran him out of town and tried to kill him. Even other religions were threatened by Paul. Just Paul's physical presence brought other religions to their knees. Think about that. Institutions fell apart because Paul walked into the city. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. That's the kind of church I want to belong to. That's the kind of God I believe in. A God so big that just his presence in the community shakes the very walls of the institutions that people have trusted. That people have said, you know what? I believe in this and not your God. It's saved me every time. 
Why did all of these people feel threatened? Well, what threatens us today? The same things. Something that is a radical departure from the normal. What Jesus and the apostles and Paul were preaching was radically different from the normal. We don't like different things. We build walls to keep out different things. We lock our doors to keep out different things. We move out of the cities into the suburbs because we don't like different things. Different things are a threat. And so when different things come knocking on the door, no thank you. Let me make sure my ring camera is turned on and I'm getting notifications. Because there's a threat to me and my life and my way of living. And don't bring that here. I'm comfortable with where I am. I feel good about my life. I don't want things shaken up. I don't want to live in that way where I've got to do a lot of things. I just want things to be normal. To be a threat today, we've got to show something that's radically different from what people see in life and in most other churches. We've got to show that being a Christian is radically different. Your friends might ask you, well, what, what does that mean to be a Christian? Well, it just means you don't swear and you don't have sex before marriage. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's not radically different. Anyone can do that. Anyone can set their hearts on that. Anyone can make that a goal in their life. Jesus says to be a true Christian. Paul says to be a true Christian. I want you to do something radically different. Because rocking the status quo is a threat. The status quo is just the same old, same old. It's the normal. It's our routine. It's the things we're used to as a community, as a family, as a people. And rocking that means there is something different invading the area. And we don't want things invading the area. Because when invasions happen, well, then we have to put up a wall. We have to put up a, a battery of guns, like in World War II. When American troops stormed the beaches of Normandy, that was an invasion into Europe. Boy, they didn't like that. When invasions happen into our personal spaces, when invasions happen into our world, people will push back. That things are no longer going to be like they've always been. And what happened in that invasion in Normandy? Things were never the same. We changed the world. And that's what we have to think about as a church. That's what we have to think about as people of God. Change is dangerous. Change forces people to think differently. Change says what's happening now may not be all that there is. And let me tell you this. People are hungry for that message. People want to know that this is not all there is. That it's just not waking up and getting ready and going to your work and coming home and having dinner and going back to sleep and doing it again and again and again until you die. That's a reductionist idea. That's the idea that there is nothing 
but us. People want to know that there is something more for them, that this does not have to be all there is. The threat that Jesus and the apostles and Paul brought was not menacing. They weren't trying to harm people. A lot of times we think a threat is harmful to us. That's why we build the walls. That's why we do the things that we shouldn't do. They were trying to see people saved. Their threat wasn't bad. It was good. But it's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? It's all a matter of who you ask. That mm, my life is good now. I'm fine. Thank you. I don't need anything else from you. But what does that mean? What does it mean to have a good life? What are you basing that on? Earthly things? Because those fade and die and wither and you won't have those any longer. And when your world is taken away, when everything is taken away from you and there's loss in your life and you don't know where to turn to and you, you're questioning everything you've ever done, how good's your life then? The goodness of our life is based on something eternal, forever, unchanging, imperishable. The reaction of the people who were threatened was what was bad. It wasn't who they were. But it was just their reaction that was bad. When we talk about being a threat like Jesus, we're not talking about being malicious. We're not saying that we're going to go out in the community and just threaten people and like, I'm going to punch you if you don't listen to Jesus. That's like not what we're saying here. That would be ridiculous. Don't try that. We are talking about being a threat to change the world for good. That when we show up, good things happen. And not good by the world's standards, but good by God's standards. God's blessings flow through that. We're talking about being a threat to see people's lives changed forever by the power of God. It's a threat because it's a promise to change. It comes as a threat and as a promise. That it's only a true, it's actually the only true threat we can speak of. Because we can, we can talk, oh, I'm going to come over there and I'm going to mess you up. I mean, no one's scared of that, right? We're coming from me. That's not a true threat. But when we say, as a church, we're going to change the community for good, that's the only true threat we can say. Because God wants us to do that. God wants to see that fulfilled in our communities and in our workplaces and in our schools and in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our world. God said, this is what I've called you to do. It's not just a threat, it's a promise. It's a promise to do all these things. It's a promise to say, yes, your life will be changed, but you will be so blessed by that. We're going to mess you up. Big time, man. And you're going to love it. Because God is all we've got. It's the only true threat that we can speak. And so if we are going to be a threat to turn the world upside down for Jesus, we have to embody the traits of those we've mentioned. How can we be a threat without being a menace? How can we be dangerous people without being malicious? There is no better example to follow than the example of Jesus. 
How did Jesus turn the world upside down? How can we be threats to turn the world upside down? Well, first of all, Jesus treated nobodies like somebodies. And in those moments when we feel like we've got to lock a door, or we've got to build a wall, or we've got to put up a, a bridge, Jesus said, let him come to my table. Let's build bigger tables to invite those nobodies in. <clears throat> Let's make them into somebodies by our love. Let's cherish them. He cared about people that nobody else cared about. He cared about the sick. He cared about the marginalized. He cared about those on the edges of society. He touched a man with leprosy. I don't even know if I would do that. He went to those places and saw the people and invited them into tables and people hated him for it. Like not just hated, like, oh man, that's so stupid, I hate you. He hated them so much that they wanted to murder him. That's how much of a threat Jesus was. But he didn't do it by doing bad things. He did it by doing the right things. The key word here is care. If you want to change your world, if you want to change your neighborhood, if you want to change your work or your school, care about people. Man, that's a simple thing to do, isn't it? But it's so hard because that guy just cut me off. And that's so rude to do, and someone should tell him about that. Luckily, they've invented a horn to tell him how rude he is. But man, I got to let go of that. I got to slow myself down and say, that is a child of God. As stupid as he is, he's a child of God, and I care about him. And wow, when I say that out loud, that I care about the guy that cut me off, that is a radical departure from normal. Love people nobody else wants to love. Here's something radical. Love a terrorist. Love someone on death row. Love someone that no one cares about and says is valuable or is worth it or has the time for us. Doesn't want to listen to me. Love that person. Love the person who makes your life miserable. Love the person that you can never seem to make happy. Love that person. Love the person who seems lonely and wants someone to talk to. Love that person who's somehow in your life now, who's been placed in your life to affect change. Do you love people? That's not the right question anymore. Do you love people? Anyone can love a person. Anyone can. It's a good goal. Here's the Jesus question. Do people love you? Do the nobodies love you? Do the people that you are called to love, do they love you? Because they were attracted to Jesus. The people that nobody wanted to talk to, Jesus lived his life in such a way that those people were attracted to him. 
Do you attract those people or do you repel them? When you see them, do you want to bring them closer and show them the love of God? Or do you want to push them away? <laughs> because the disciples wanted to push them away. Oh, the children, don't, don't let the children see Jesus. Oh, this woman, she, she's unclean. She's from a different region. She's not a, she's not a Jew like us. She can't. And then she touched Jesus and she was healed. And then the soldiers came to Jesus and they were healed. And these are people that no one wanted to talk to. The tax collectors and the prostitutes were healed. Because Jesus lived his life in a way that people were attracted to that. They came to him and they said, what must I do to live like you? Do people want to live like you? Do they want to be near you? Do they want to love you? Do they want to know more about how you got to be the way you are? Or do they just want something else? Share the love of Jesus with people nobody else wants to touch. Jesus also challenged the religious establishment. And I don't know if you've read the story, but this got him into big trouble. To challenge the religious establishment and the authority, he flipped religion on its ear. He came into the temple and he literally flipped tables because they were selling tickets into the temple. They were selling little tchotchkes to say, hey, you've been to the temple. Here's a souvenir. Oh, by the way, that's 30 shekels, which is a ripoff, by the way. That stuff is so cheap. He pointed out what religion really is. A set of rules and regulations with a few people making the rules. And then we get in line and we say, oh yeah, 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 I can do this and 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 then I'm done. And then we, we start to think, okay, well actually maybe I don't need church. Maybe because I can do all this religion stuff at home, on my own, in the comfort of my house. I can pray and read my Bible. I don't need community to do the things that I've been called to. Well, let's take that a step further, shall we? I don't need the church. I don't need God, actually, to, to do all that stuff. I can get to heaven on my own because I've prayed and I've read the Bible and I just believe and I've said those things. There are churches that you've gone to before in your past that think that way that have big productions, that have lots of people, bright, shiny, happy faces sitting there. But were you truly impacting? Were you truly a threat? We can have a thousand, 10,000 people in a church, but if we are not changing the world around us, we do not deserve to exist. I would rather have 15 world changers. I would rather have 15 people that have come into the presence of Jesus and cannot say no than have a church of a thousand people who are just really comfortable. This is a really nice church. I like what they've done with the lobby. The communion is delicious, by the way. I love that. Let's not mess around anymore. Let's be people that change our community. Now, the key word here is challenge. And I'm not talking about going after other churches. I'm not talking about churches that do things like that, that do things differently than us. 
There are many churches that are doing all they can for Jesus. And that's great. We need churches. We need more churches. Because as St. Rick of Warren has said, lots of churches for lots of people. We need our brothers and sisters. I'm talking about challenging what people believe church is. Challenge what they think. Oh, I went to a church a long time ago when I was a kid and it was really stuffy and I had to wear a suit and they, they made me uh, go up front and, and I, just, I just didn't want to go back anymore. Or I went to church and I got burned really bad because the people there, uh, they had different ideas about how the ship should be steered. I just don't think that people can work out church on this planet. We've heard them all. And Jesus heard excuses too. I have to go bury the dead. I just got all of these oxen in the mail and I have to go and install them. He heard them all. And we continue to hear them today because people don't want their lives changed. So we need to challenge what they believe that church is. We want to challenge them that this is not some place where we come in and get this information and then we leave and then we're better people but nobody else is. We want to do something with what we've got. Challenge the social club image. Challenge the we are better than you mentality. Challenge the keeping the rules makes you okay in religion. Challenge the secret club picture so many of us have of church. Prove to people that Jesus is accepting of all people who will turn to him by faith, just like he accepted you by faith. And here's the last one. And this is the one that I need to pray through. The one that has been always a struggle for me is Jesus was completely sold out to see other people's lives changed. Completely sold out. What would it look like in your life to be completely sold out, to be all in on changing lives around you? Because I think as Christians, we get into this routine, we get into this place where we're like, eh, I'm doing my thing, they're doing their thing. We feel good about that. We've got a good relationship. Jesus said you will lose relationships over this. This is the most important thing you will ever do in your life. We can't do it halfway. We can't do it on the fence. We can't do it, meh, two and a half out of five stars. We have to be all in. There was nothing, by the way, that kept Jesus from his goal. And how do I know that? Not even death stopped Jesus from changing the world. He came to set captives free, and that's what he did, and he continues to do that today. And so the key word here is commit. It's three C's. They're easy to remember. Care, challenge, and commit. Jesus had a habit of running in to half-hearted people. And he had a habit of pushing those people off. 
Because they came at him half-hearted, and then when things struggled, like when he preached the parables or he preached the Sermon on the Mount, when things got a little bit harder and he started to say, love your enemy, don't judge other people, they were half-hearted and they walked away. And he died alone on a tree, embarrassed and humiliated in front of his friends and his weeping mother. Because half-hearted people don't finish the job. He knew the plan to turn the world upside down had no room for fence sitting. It was all or nothing. And so if we're going to turn the world upside down, we have to commit at any price to ruin relationships, to get uncomfortable, to find a way outside of our little bubble here. By the way, that bubble that we live in, that's our comfort zone. And that little area that exists right outside of our comfort zone, that's our learning zone. That's where we learn about ourselves and other people, and we just don't want to do that because we're sick and tired of learning new things. We're sick and tired of changing. We have decided that we will pay whatever price there is to bring Jesus to our community. We have to decide that no amount of ridicule or persecution will deter us. We have to be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're in deep trouble. And our community is in deep trouble. And we want to be people that trouble the souls of the people around us, to trouble our community, to bring a threat against them and their way of life. 